good morning. My name is Kyle Hobrach, and uh, I have the pleasure of introducing Sophia Bastidas today. I graduated myself from SMU in 2011 with a degree in painting from Meadows and have stayed in Texas. I run a residency for artists and writers in Corsicana called 100 West and met Sophia almost three years ago. Um, Sophia came to Dallas as the uh, Pollock Gallery curator um, and fellow from Miami. Um, she's the co-founder of Port to Port, a nomadic curatorial research program that grounds theories of planetary urbanization and contemporary capitalism by focusing on maritime logistics sites, collaborating with local institutions to co-produce exhibitions, symposia, and artist residencies, and TVGov, a think tank and political design company that re-envisions territory in relation to current economic circumstances, recently participating in the 9th Berlin Biennale and receiving grants from the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, the Foundation for Contemporary Art, among others. Sophia is currently the SME Meadows School of the Arts Curatorial Fellow and Pollock Gallery Director, where she has curated a diverse and dynamic program. Her work focuses on supporting existing platforms that engage cultural discourses that catapult creative co-production, communication, and sustainable forms of organizing. So with this, it's my pleasure to introduce Sophia Bastidas. Hi, um, Kyle. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so, Sophia, we have uh, maybe 30 minutes here to have a conversation and learn a bit about you and how Dallas has been so fortunate to keep you here for the last three years. Um, you and I just traveled to Mexico City this last weekend to meet your family for a family reunion and uh, gave me some interesting um, insight into your upbringing. You're from Ecuador and uh, you're from different places within Ecuador, urban places, rural places. And yeah. I'm, it would be nice to start with um, a sense of where you came from, from outside the U.S., and we may be able to use um, some of that for our, our questions later on. Um, so, yeah, I was born and raised in Ecuador. Um, I was born in a very small city in south of Ecuador called Loja. Both my dad and my mom are from there. And then I grew up in Guayaquil, which is the port city. And I think um, that informed a lot of my work growing up in a port city. Um, that's why I do my project Port to Port. Uh, but after I lived in Ecuador, I went to live in Miami for my university years. And I attended Florida International University with a degree in, I specialized in art history and contemporary art. Um, and I lived in Miami for nine years, which is also a port city. And uh, I arrived in Miami in 2007, um, and I kind of saw the financial crisis happening at that time. And that informed a lot of my work and the things that I was interested in. So 
um, it kind of gave a background to understanding logistics centers, maritime trade, um, the connections between the global south with the global north, um, infrastructure in general, and like how are we building today to be able to accommodate this amount of trade and the ways commodities are moving and flowing around the world. So, yeah. yeah your, your education outside of your education. Yeah. Though your mother lives in, um, your parents have a farm on the south side of Ecuador mm-hmm. in Loja. Yes. Where they um, they grow sugar cane among other things, oh. but primarily sugar cane, and uh, and we got to travel down there last summer, mm-hmm. and seeing that environment, which I know is a part of you, um, must have also become part of the equation alongside this larger global picture, because that environment. I think the listeners would be interested to, to hear about that, what, what that part of your family and your upbringing looks like, yes. and that element um, for you. Well, we uh, were raised in a valley, in, 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 a, in a valley called Vilcabamba, and uh, Vilcabamba is known for, uh, the you know, it's just this kind of paradise place where the weather is good all the time and uh, you can grow absolutely everything <laughs> and you know when we were there last year we we saw how like the trees were full of like tangerines or oranges but at a, at a moment that is just even you know exploding of, of fruit and they were like just laying in the ground and my mom always says I feel so bad because they are all, you know, in the floor and like we can't pick them up all and they go to waste and, and we just, it's just so... Yeah, it's a garden of Eden. <laughs> sort, yeah, I mean, the, when she came to visit, she brought coffee that was grown outside of her yeah. kitchen window <laughs> and like the avocados are coming from. I mean, I mean, yeah, you, you don't have to leave there to... Yeah, it's to, a completely... To, to be able to have the most decadent <laughs> nutritional intake. Yeah, and so, it's, it's just... Um, but you know, my grand. But it's such a contrast to a place like Miami. Is is the point? You yeah, know, it's it a it's a big contrast. But at the same time, Miami. You know, I was surprised because Miami has the Everglades and the Everglades and and its water. You know, structure is just so rich and is it, it. You know, you think of Miami, maybe Miami Beach and Art Deco and you know high rises, but. Miami also has this incredibly rich ecosystem, you know, the Everglades, the coral reefs, uh, the Biscayne Bay, and all of these things, you know, I, I did pay a lot of attention uh, because I am, I'm, I look at nature, but I also think, you know, nature is this, this idea of nature being separated from us is very preoccupying to me. So... While in Miami, I was, you know, looking at that, looking at, I remember the first time I went to the Everglades and I, I, I couldn't believe it because it was the first time I saw that type of flora and fauna. And and, and I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away of the beauty of it and the stillness and the calmness of it. But also it kind of break my heart knowing that we had, we have had, um, you know, 
the Everglades are not, the water is not flowing. Um, they have canalized many of the Everglades and that has created a lot of damage. And, you know, Miami, within the, you know, the repertoire of thinking of climate change, Miami is a very specific place, not because the water is going to come offshore, but because the water is underneath and you have limestone. So if sea level rise happens, it's not because it's coming, you know, from the shore, but because it's coming from underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was fascinated for my, by Miami. Right. And these observations have informed a lot of your work and your collaborative projects. Yes. And the drive for the kinds of things that you have brought to SMU and to the Pollock Gallery, for example. Yes. I mean, I'm thinking of um, some of the, the um, most notable, in, in, in my mind, exhibitions that you've pulled off there. Mm-hmm. Uh, port to port, mouth. Radio E. Radio E. Um, before we get too deep into this, maybe you could uh, share a bit about some of these shows mm-hmm. and 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 how um, you've had the privilege to use the Pollock Gallery as a platform to introduce to Dallas and to mm-hmm. the SME community um, some of these broader issues like what you just described and that Miami struggles with or Puerto Rico, you Mm -hmm. know, um, you're a conduit for a lot of these things that we hear about on the news, but you're able to. Yeah. So I arrived to the Polo Gallery in 2016, in March, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was supposed to be here only for 10 months (laughs) and then I just happened to stay longer, (laughs) but I was very fascinated by this. In the same role or your role evolved? My role has evolved with time. I I became here just to be the curatorial fellow for 10 months. And then with time, I ended up becoming the gallery director. And I work very closely with the art department um, Mm -hmm. in many aspects. And you have recently received a position. Now I'm working working at Ignite Arts Dallas. I'm working with Ignite Arts Dallas. With Clyde Valentine. Valentine, yeah. So it's, um, well, the Polo Gallery, it's a space for the students to have their BFA qualifying exhibition and the MFA qualifying exhibition. But aside from that, I'm also tasked with curating other shows and programming it in other ways that we can bring in the community and just um, give, you know, provide also the community a and information or to show them different ways of seeing things. And that's what I am interested in. So when I arrived to Dallas uh, from Miami, it was very interesting for me to, to drive around um, Dallas constantly and, and just look at how it was organized, you know, in the way the highways were built and the, the way the neighborhoods are, um, located and how you know the trinity river was um, was canalized and how how it happened so i was just asking questions and looking at at the landscape and the geography and um, after about a year of being in dallas and really um, observing observing you know we we use this term with some of my collaborators you know visually investigating certain traces uh 
we realized that the Trinity River was sort of this um, hidden secret of Dallas that either they didn't want to talk about it because there has been so many shameful things happening or they now want to talk it, about it but in a very a historical way that you know we renovate the Trinity River but we really don't know what happened there <laughs> or why we're doing this and so I started looking into it and I realized that you know they uh, in in the late 1800s they were um, thinking of um, building a port you know because in Dallas in Dallas that this would be a port city a port city and and so that was fascinating to me because I did see you know when I arrived I had the feeling that it had this the the feeling of a port city and had a kind of structure in our an infrastructure that felt like massive free free trade and and you know open market and the free trade zone and it has some elements of design of that so you know even the the kind of um cityscape with all of the buildings and you still have the water that sometimes comes up in in, in some of the images of, mm -hmm. of that i was very interested in that and i was like well, this has some port-like similarities or port-like features and architectural. It's speaking a similar language. Yeah, and and that's what we do in in my project with my collaborator Guillermo Gomez, uh, in Port to Port. It's a it's a platform that investigates the isomorphic design of port cities mm -hmm. and this he hegemonic mm -hmm. um, architecture that happens because, in order for you know in in. Which you've observed and traveled to on a global level. Yes, right? exactly. And so Particularly in Latin America. Particularly in Latin America. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so that was the, the first exhibition with, the, you know, with Port to Port here was wide open, and it was a research exhibition. And you pulled a lot from the De Gaulle Library. Yeah, we, pull, we pulled a lot of um, archives from the De Gaulle Library, and specifically from the archive of Ned Fritz, who was an incredible activist, and he was a lawyer, but he was an environmental activist that um, just, you know, we have the great Trinity Forest because of him <laughs> and because of what he did and the, and the way that he um, defended that land and that place and, and he saw the importance. And, you know, for he was very important in the exhibition because he was really... Um, a visionary of understanding nature and, 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 and the value of nature in in Dallas. And um, so just recently, I, you know, I've learned that the Trinity Re Trail is named after him, so that makes me very happy. Um, but it's unearthing the things that are so commonplace here. We're always driving back and forth across the Trinity. You yeah. know, you always have to pass the forest when you come into town. But... Well, it you doesn't because register you live in Corsicana. Because I have moved to Corsicana. <laughs> it's true. So you pass through it all the time. On kind of taking out those archives, I also saw in the way that he he composed his letters or the way the design of the letterheads. Um, also those aspects I was What very decades are we talking here? I mean, so people have some context. This is in the 70s. Also another part of this is that the project was... They started the port in the, you know, the idea, the, the, the floating idea of a port started in the late 1800s, but then it was revived in the 70s. And that's why Ned Fritz is 
you know, a very important person at that time because he was fighting at that time, so not in the 1800s, just to make it clear. Well, the Trinity River has been something that Dallas has renegotiated its relationship with throughout its place here. And so, and, and, um, but what struck me is that you were bringing that conversation into a gallery space where most audiences would expect to see paintings and sculpture works and things that are readily received as art works. But you have, in multiple instances, turned the Pollock Gallery into a research investigation space. Um, And I think um, demonstrated that artwork and the gallery system and um, the ways that people understand these venues of presentation can dig much deeper than a commercial, commercially focused, yeah, um, product based. Well, yeah, that's my interest. V- venue and um, and you did this with mouth, mm-hmm. which um, is a huge part of your research, collaborative mm-hmm. efforts, and um, for several months of the year, lifestyle. When you travel to Puerto Rico and you adopt this Caribbean <laughs> approach. Yeah. Um, you were in Puerto Rico for more than a month this summer, the Dominican Republic, and the collective that you worked with there, um, you brought to Dallas and to SMU. They did a workshop with the students. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave an exhibition. Can you briefly share a bit about MAUF, what it means, and um, and I think that there are traces of of what you described earlier with your mother's work in Vilcabamba and in, in Loja at this farm, mm-hmm. that double yeah. into the practices that Malf embodies. Malf is a collective. And Malf, we should say, is spelled M A O F. F. Yeah. And it stands for. Well, Malf was. Uh, then it was engraved in a building that this group of artists um, occupied occupied for their uh, for woodworking. Th- for their woodworking, and it was the name of the person who owned that building before. So they just continued to keep that. So they didn't want to build an, another name or another brand for themselves. They just right, but they have since continue. layered on top no. <laughs> the name evolves. Yeah, then the name evolves, but they they just kind of took that name and the space is kind of a ghost it's um kind of mysterious place and mouth works in very mysterious ways <laughs> because they are a collective sometimes and sometimes they are a space and sometimes you know the family of artists and, and people that work in there just grows and expands and extends and there's many mouth people <laughs> so but yeah. at any rate <laughs> mouth produces work like these canoes well first let me what they started doing is that they realized you know this group of artists realized that um puerto rico didn't have um, um an organic waste management system and this is because puerto rico imports 99 percent of its its goods right. um and so they realized that you know, the city, for example, was cutting fine tropical woods and just taking it to the to the 
landfill without any understanding of the value of, of this of these trees. So they started collecting these trees from the urban setting and not only trees but palms and seeds and just materials that are in the Caribbean that for some reason or another because of you know colonial uh, historical they have been kind of detached from their understanding from being from an island so they import many of the woods and they just um, uh, don't have access to their own material culture in some way in Puerto Rico so they so Maof is there to so resurface Mauf, that so Maof is working there and like understanding these materials and, and trying to look and, uh, at them and uh, within this they also a lot of artists come to this space and, 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 and work with them and, and investigate these woods and they look what they were used before, how they can be used now. And um, the most recent project uh, that I'm working with them on is uh, it's called Canoas, Cayucos y Balsas. Mm-hmm. And it is um, a project uh, that consists on building a fleet of seaworthy canoes to be able to do an expedition in the Caribbean. And uh, we were in the Dominican Republic um, and we carved, um, not, I didn't carve it because I didn't do that, but <laughs> I was there. The photographs show all. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we were working with, um, for, you know, uh, last generation canoe builders. Um, that are doing it by hand and uh, just what we did is a monolixon canoe which is uh, doing it out of one tea trunk so a a very big tea trunk of javilla was uh, uh, one fallen tree that has been hollowed out to and and shaped into into a canoe canoe. yeah right and so this is the first canoe that we're doing and Mm -hmm. the idea of this is to kind of it's an Antillian project that is is trying to um, rediscover and and understand the way that the Caribbean was united before, um, and how the communication and culture and trade pre-Columbian were happening pre-Columbian. But also, you know, it's important to understand that this, um, you know, today the Caribbean only has, you know, this luxury, super luxury yachts and sort of this visitor economy, which is cruises Mm -hmm. that are going there. And you really have no culture happening in between these islands. There's no communication between them whatsoever. And so this is an attempt to kind of, you know... Reinstate. Reinstate, get in touch with this and, uh, and understand what it means you know like what is it means the ocean for the people of the caribbean you know mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's a very interesting project because we're also testing some hypotheses of like how these cultures were navigating and which to which um islands they were uh, trading with or have more cultural connections with one another so yeah um sophia to, to Dig back into your time here in Dallas and SMU a bit. Um, what are you most excited about with Ignite Arts Dallas, and, and, and where do you see your role in that taking taking you and, and the profile of Meadows? And um, 
I think you're particularly interested in finding um, connections outside of this campus mm -hmm. uh, for the community here. So in some of the research and the projects and the curatorial efforts you've been involved with, what are there elements of these that you're mm -hmm. seeking to, to bring back into the SMU fold? Yeah. I'm so excited to be working at Igniter Dallas because I've seen the impact it has in our community. In the SMU community? In our community, no, in Dallas in mm -hmm. general, yeah. you know. And I see the kind of efforts that have been pushed and have been made and it has had a great impact. Can you describe Ignite Arts Dallas briefly? Ignite Arts Dallas is, uh, it's hosted in Meadows mm -hmm. and it's an organization that puts forward uh, programming that it's in between social justice, um, climate uh, activism, or, you know, and, uh, you know, connecting our students to the greater community of Dallas right. and vice versa, and like bringing interdisciplinary work and interdisciplinary thought to. Um, both the SMU community and the Dallas community. And just bringing also people from, you know, international here. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, they have, you know, they have this big relationship with Dallas um, and vice versa. You know, I think that my work now with Ignire Dallas is going to be, is, you know, is within the visual arts and it's understanding that the gallery is a place that connects the community with SMU and how our students can be more involved in the gallery and, and how they can make this space their own um, in a way that they don't feel the pressure of doing things that they have to sell or that they have to make you know, a product of, but that they can experiment. Because I do believe that experimentation brings the best out of students and it brings the best out of uh, their work, you know, investigating materials, spaces, forms of making, uh, forms of thinking. Um, and, I, and, 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 and I hope that the gallery can do that. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why the shows that I've done are not the most conventional shows that you would see in other galleries, it's because I do believe that it's a place for experimentation and, and, and for uh, a type of play that needs, that urgently needs to happen in Dallas. <laughs> and, uh, and you set the tone for a lot of this too because you come from um, arguably a museum gallery centric mm -hmm. setting. You have your degree in um, art history. Mm -hmm. But then while you've been in Dallas and at SMU, you have also pursued a master's in engineering. Yes. And uh, you felt the need to layer that extra education on top of your mm -hmm. um, mobility within an art scene uh, to be able to bring to the table much more relevant projects. And um, it would be nice if you could share a little bit about your recent masters. Yes, um, I did the sustainability and development masters at Lyle School of Engineering, and the reason why I did decided to do that is because I am interested in the tools 
and processes that happen in engineering in general. Well, uh, can you give some examples? So, for example, GIS. Um, I am Which is? Geospatial Information Systems. Right. And GIS is like Google Maps, for instance, but much right. more detail. And you we have use it every more. day, but yeah. it's a much more powerful tool than Google mm -hmm. Maps. Yeah. But you have much more data in it, and you can you know, see things that we are not seeing on our everyday. So on top of my visual investigator investigation, you know, kind of mindset every day, that's kind of another layer to look at larger um, data sets or a larger um, uh, habit or things that are happening in the city that might inform some of my research. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important for me because I happen to to think that um i i think that it's um it complements my work because my work is, is very focused on environmental justice in um in how we use land water and air and how that affects not only humans but all other beings so um I want to be able to, if anything that I do moving forward in my curatorial practice, I want it to really be informed by tools that have specific data uh, that can be real and that I can be speaking from a place that is just not kind of imaginary in a way, but that I can bring in real change or real information to the public and present it in a different way that might get them engaged uh, and say, oh, well, we actually do have to pay attention at these issues here in Dallas because we we don't have more time, for instance. I don't know if that makes sense, but. <laughs> well, I think it points to the, you know, the notion that Dallas is a microcosm of these larger global challenges. Mm -hmm. And this is your, you know, you've made Dallas your own laboratory and, um, um, you know, as as much as you get out of this place to go to other places to do work, you know, you, you link those things back here. Um, so we've all been benefiting, mm. you know, from the, from the kinds of works and projects you do elsewhere because you do a very nice job to tie them back yeah. um, to Dallas Relevance and, and here at SMU. Um, Sophia, what's, um, just quickly, what's next? What is next? The, the Pollock Gallery is opening in a new location. The Pollock Gallery is opening in a new location. And uh, we have some exciting programming mm -hmm. that we're thinking about. Uh, the idea is that it can be activated all the time. So we're trying to understand the space. And once we get into this new space... Which is right across... It's in Expressway Tower. Right, right across uh, 75. 75. So in, on East Campus, Expressway Tower. And we're on the mm -hmm. lobby area. So mm -hmm. it's suite one on one. Um, we don't have a set program yet because of construction. But uh, it's in the making. And it's going to be very exciting. Especially be. because we're bringing a lot of the programming that... Igniter Dallas has been doing, mm -hmm. and that you've been here just long enough to um, collect a critical mass to be able to reopen mm -hmm. this gallery. 
yes. in a way that I think the existing one provided limitations that could be frustrating yeah. for some of these projects. So I think we're all into so What is the target open date for this? When are we going to be able to come visit you and your projects there? It's going to be in mid-November. Oh, really? Before mm -hmm. 2020? Yeah. That's Before 2020. Approaching. Yeah. I think it's going to be very exciting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll all look forward to meeting you there, Sophia. Well, Sophia, I want to take a minute to thank you so much for spending these 30 minutes to share about yourself and um, your excitement for Dallas and um, plans on the horizon. Um, it's clear that, that Meadows is uh, so proud of the work you've done here um, as part of its celebration of 50 years in existence. So thank you. Thank you so much, Kyle, for having me. 